Hello, welcome back to Ask a Monk. Next question comes from BD951, who asks, Can you speak on the Tipitaka? I heard the oral tradition wasn't written down for many years, even then not in language of the Buddha. If this is the case, why argue over such things as did the Buddha say, as did the Buddha say, rites or rituals or prayers and practices? Thanks. So talking about the Tipitaka, uh, and, and specifically talking about the Tipitaka in terms of its uh, exactness. First of all, the Tipitaka is supposed to have been written down in something very close to what the Buddha actually spoke. This is the language that it was um, it was memorized in, and it may have been standardized a little bit, uh, even in those early times, where there you know th there may be spellings or um, forms that were 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 standardized in in terms of the spelling and the uh, the harmonization of the actual words, but the language itself. It is very similar to to Indian languages that you find today to to a certain extent uh, and and quite similar to Sanskrit actually, but much more of a spoken language it's the language or Prakrit that they call Pali or we call Pali it's also called Magadha uh, among Buddhists we'll call it Magadha the Magadhan language because that was the area where the Buddha lived and we believe it to be the language that he spoke it may not have been exactly as I said. Um, the second thing is about an oral tradition, uh, and there's something great about an oral tradition that uh, is is really misunderstood. We think that an oral tradition is somehow inferior to the written word, and that's not really the case. The mind is an incredible computer, and if used properly, uh, is much more reliable than a uh, than a book. Uh, and this is this is far true, this is um, even more true when you're talking about groups of people memorizing texts. Um, and now I've done some memorizing uh, of texts and it's true that sometimes I get it wrong but you know I, I misremember something. But here we're talking about a language that was native to these people. This was the language that they spoke. So what they were memorizing Maybe not exactly as I said, but what they were memorizing was something that was was very easily memorable memorable to them. So whereas I might skip a word or get a, a verb form wrong, uh, I might conjugate a verb wrong or in in the wrong form. They would never do that, uh, and and skipping a word would not be as likely either, because it it wouldn't make sense and it wouldn't uh, fit with the standard mode of of uh, expression and when you're talking about groups of people which we we are I mean the, the, the number of Buddhist monks when the Buddha passed away was um, you know I don't know there, there were thousands upon thousands I don't know thousands of them anyway uh, and they were they would memorize these these texts in in large groups uh, of people and you know, it's incredible to me even how just as one person how much I can remember. You know, I can remember, I can memorize the sutta, I can memorize pieces of, of this text piece by piece by piece and, until I eventually get the sutta. When I go back, I've missed some things and I go back over it and over it. And eventually it, it, it sticks in memory. There are, there are suttas that 
I haven't memorized for a long time. There was a story uh, of a monk who 20 years he didn't look at the Majjhima Nikaya, which is 152 talks the Buddha gave. And 20 years later he could still uh, recite it after after not looking at it for 20 years, not thinking about it. He went off to practice meditation. And uh, as a result of the, the meditation practice, they say he was able to um, to, to memorize it without any trouble. Uh, so so there, there's something there. I mean, obviously it's possible and, and seems quite likely that there were errors uh, that crept into the Buddha's teaching. Um, but, but I don't think the oral tradition was, was really to blame. There's an example in the Christian tradition. If you, there, there's a man, a scholar, one of the greatest Bible scholars, not a great Bible scholar, Bart Ehrman, um, who explains that actually we don't know what Jesus actually said because we don't have the original texts. We don't, we don't know if those texts are what Jesus actually said or not, but we don't have those texts. He said what we have are, are mistakes upon mistakes upon mistakes, or, or errors or, or um, changes upon changes upon changes. There's more changes in the, there's more discrepancies between the different texts than there are words in the Bible. And he attributes this mostly, well, partially to scribal errors. You know, I mean, scribes are are generally not meditating. They're not engaged in the practice of, of the Buddhist or, or of the teaching. Scribes are generally paid or, or in the Buddhist tradition maybe not paid, but they they wouldn't likely be the meditation monks. And so as a result, there were many errors that crept into the the Christian text. But another reason was the... Um, uh, the the doctrinal differences. So there were many schisms, and they changed according to their schisms. Now this may be the case in Buddhism as well, because there were many different schools, and there have been many different schools. And as a result, we do find the same discourse has different um, and often pointedly different, um, uh, you know, information. Where this school it it, it follows after their idea and that school that follows after their idea and so on. So that is the case. I think the point though, whether there may be errors and changes and, and so on in, in the Tipitaka uh, or not, and whether it actually is what the Buddha said or not, um, is that we have the we have a Buddhist corpus, we have this Tipitaka which is uh, a, a very internally consistent group of texts and should we take it literally um, you know, as every piece of it is the Buddha's teaching um, no I think to an extent we shouldn't to an extent we should be able to um, apply the basic concepts that are found therein and because what we have is based on obviously based on the teachings of the Buddha whether or not you know, it'd be nice if it was all exactly what the Buddha said. And I tend to think, tend to, you know, for myself, I say, you know, unless you can prove to me or find some conclusive evidence that it's not, then I'd rather think that it is uh, what the Buddha taught. And there are many people out there who try to, you know, put the texts into times and say, you know, this this group of texts was later because it's in a different 
you know, meter is different, the poetry is of a different type and so on. And they have all these theories that, that you know, seem to me, you know, I don't know, uh, whatever, they have their theories, I have my theories, or lack thereof. Um, but the the point is is that, you know, clearly, if you read through the text, clearly there is wisdom here. Clearly there is something that has something to do with with Buddhism, which means with uh, enlightenment. Buddha means one who knows, with knowledge, with wisdom. There is Buddhism in these texts. There is wisdom and enlightenment in these texts. And if you can get that from the text, I think that is, is really the most important thing. There are passages in there that are so profound. And, and you know, the, there will be a point where the Buddha said, all you need to know, before you start to practice meditation, all you need to know is that nothing is worth clinging to. Basically, that's something that you find in the text. If a person learns that nothing, no dhamma, no reality, no thing is worth clinging to, then this is enough for them to get started. This is enough as far as book learning goes. It's not enough as far as a, um, a basic or a precursor to the, the, the practice of the Buddha's teaching. So, this is how we should look at the the uh, Tipitika. Uh, you know, for people to go about quoting suttas and saying this proves that, that proves that, and often saying, you know, this implies this, this implies that, and and therefore dogmatically sticking to a, a set practice, I think is really sad. Um, there are many different types of practice out there based on the Buddha's teaching. And you'll see that if you read the Tipitaka, if you read the suttas, that there wasn't one practice that the Buddha um, recommended for all people. So even if you could take it literally, it, it wouldn't do much good to say, you know, look at this sutta, the Buddha said, this is the way to enlightenment. And then someone comes up, well, look at this sutta, it says, this is the way to enlightenment. Uh, so it, it wouldn't even do good if it was. The um, the, the important thing is the, the basic understanding and the premise that will, that we can then use for our practice. Um, there are many things in the Tipitaka that will guide you away from wrong practice, and you should get those, you should understand those, but they're very general principles. The principles of impermanence, of, of impermanence, uh, suffering and non-self, in the sense that there's nothing uh, in the world, there's nothing in samsara that is permanent, that is lasting, that, that you can cling to. There's nothing in samsara that is going to make you happy if you do cling to it, because it's impermanent. And there's nothing in samsara in the in the whole of, of of existence that you can you can say is is me is mine that it is under my control that you can control that you can change to say okay it's impermanent I'm going to make it permanent or I'm going there's no stability to be found these three general principles well you'll find them throughout the Tipitaka but I think clearly those are 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 core ideas in the Buddha's teaching and that has to do with the four noble truths. Uh, which are, you know, basically the core of the Buddha's teaching. But you shouldn't take this as some kind of doctrine where, yes, the Buddha, the Buddha teach you taught the Four Noble Truths and then you you think about them and you understand them intellectually and, and you know all, how they fit into all this text and this text and how this group of teaching fits in and so on. Uh, it's really useless. This is, this is, you know, the Buddha said, like people who uh, look after the cows of others. It's not so important to know everything. It's important to know what's important. It's important to know those things and to know them well. 
those things that lead you to freedom from suffering. And intellectually, simply to understand um, the, the types of things that are going to uh, help and improve your practice. What are the wrong ways of, of practice, the wrong courses of action? What are the right courses of action? What are wholesome things? What are unwholesome things? And uh, th this is really important, getting the general principles. So reading the Tipitaka is great, read through it, um, but don't look through it you know, trying to pick out the, why did the Buddha say this, why did the Buddha say that. Get general principles and then go to practice meditation. Because what the Buddha was teaching was about reality, was about this, you know, our, our existence, what's happening right here and now, this listening to my, the sound of this, your speakers and the feeling in your chair and, and the, the hot and heat and the cold, the emotions going through your mind, the intellectual process of liking what I say, disliking what I say, judging what I say, the ego, the, 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 you know, the delusion and so on. All of this is, is what the Buddha taught. It's clearly there in the Tipitaka. And if something in the Tipitaka goes against reality, that's when you should discard it, um, not when it goes against what you believe. Uh, and I think this is what leads a lot of people to criticize and to find uh, you know, patterns of what is really the Buddha's teaching and what is not, because it's based on their views and, and their opinions. They don't like this teaching, so they they throw it out. They don't believe this teaching is, is in line with you know, their idea of what is right and so on. Um, but, but that's, you know, there's nothing you can do about that because there are as many views as there are people. There are, you can, you know, you, you, you can't possibly uh, make everyone agree with any teaching, even, even the truth. There are more people probably who will refuse to believe the truth than people who will believe the truth. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. There, there are definitely people who don't, will refuse to believe the truth when, when, when given to them. Probably I'd say more, more who refuse to believe the truth. So, um, you know, don't, don't go looking for a doctrine uh, per se in, in the Tipitaka in terms of the Buddha taught this, and and this is this is the truth it's in the text. The Buddha was 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 against that. He said, you know, when you know for yourself that these things are to your benefit, then then develop them. When you know for 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 yourself that certain things are for your detriment, then abandon them. And that's what happens. Once you know that something is for your detriment, you will not develop it. It will it will only decrease and decline. And once you see clearly that it's not to your benefit, you will never uh, give rise to it again. It will disappear. Um, so, simple. Um, you gave one specific example here, which I'm not really, you know, it doesn't really mean too much to me. Um, you know, the example of whether did the Buddha say rites and rituals or prayers and practices. Well, that's really a different question, though. The, that's the question of translation, because those two terms uh, come from the same Pali passage, the same passage, the same word as Silabhata Paramasa. And so, it's not whether the Buddha said A or B; it's whether um, one or the other is a more proper translation, both etymologically and in terms of the what the Buddha had, what the Buddha meant by it. Uh, Siddhapata Paramasa 
specifically, and this is, you know, it's only an example, but sila sila vata, vata comes from vata, para amasa. Sila means uh, refraining from certain things. Uh, vata means undertaking certain things or certain practices. So, wh whatever you translate them as, it means um, one is negative and one is positive. Refraining and uh, undertaking in the sense of um, here, yeah, uh, refraining and undertaking para amasa para means uh, others or external and amasa means clinging or, or, or holding on to uh, grasping so it's holding on to these two things um, you know, certain refraining from certain things and undertaking certain things and holding that to be important, like saying, uh, to be a good Buddhist, you have to do this. You have to light incense. You have to bow in this way, and this way, and this way. You have to uh, chant in this way, and this way, and this way. Uh, you know, it's important to um, practice uh, to to do certain things and to refrain from certain things that are outside of the path so that don't have anything to do with the path. If someone says, you know, you have to light incense, or you have to bow, and this is the way to enlighten, or this is important in the practice of enlightenment, or if someone says you have to refrain from uh, you know, eating garlic, or you have to um, refrain from this or refrain from that to, to, to practice uh, the Buddha's teaching, and, uh, and that has nothing to do with, with the Buddha's teaching, or it has nothing to do with with reality, with understanding and, and realizing the truth. That's what is meant by Silabhata Paramasa. So the problem you have here is translation. Or which translation there is going to give people a better understanding of the actual Pali word? And as you can see, it's a complicated word. the The best way to solve that dilemma is to learn Pali, and, um, and that's a great thing to do as a Buddhist. It's a life goal. Uh, if you're a person who is dedicated to this path, it's worth it to learn Pali, because any translation is only makeshift. You see, there are two examples. Which one is right? Well, um, neither one exactly captures those four words that make up the compound. So, anyway, just uh, food for thought and uh, a little bit of insight for today. Thanks for the question. All the best.